I'm Buddy Martin, and this is the Best Fridays in Football podcast with Urban Meyer and Terry Bradshaw. I believe Urban Meyer is in Sarasota because I heard him say something about working on a seawall. Am I correct, Coach? Yeah, I'm down here. We uh, bought a beautiful home down here. This has been Shelly's and I's favorite place for many years. So, yeah, we get to spend quite a bit of time down here. And you're kind of a water person. I know when we were doing your one of your books back there, you talked about growing up in the summers that you sailed. Uh, we lived up in um, Ohio, and and the things you and your family did. So you're kind of a you're kind of a child of the water, aren't you? I am. I've always enjoyed the water, and, and uh, our family has always loved being around it. And there's nothing like it down here in Sarasota. Blue water, great yeah. great town. Uh, yeah, we always enjoyed the water. Yeah, I know you told some stories about sailing, about crew, and your sister talking about being part of your crew and so on. So good thing for you to be doing these days. And Urban, um, so much has gone on that we'd like to catch up with. Um, and if I may, let me just start off with the fact that the Big Ten, obviously, is a subject much discussed everywhere today. You had an inside seat, ring seat there, of what went on there. And I think there's a perception out there by some that maybe somebody wasn't informed and somebody was. I mean, questions are like, what did the Big Ten know that the SEC did not? This is this is just rhetoric or vice versa. And the difference is one's getting ready for a season and one's not. So from the insider standpoint, and I know it's all about health concerns, what took place there in your mind? When Kevin Warren, who's got amazing credentials, made the decision, or at least the executive committee made the decision, I'm told, uh, and, uh, and and they said we're not playing this season. Can you give me, you gave me an overview last time. Tell me what you can tell us about that. Well, I know Kevin Warren's the uh, commissioner, but the commissioner works for the presidents of the conference. So my understanding, once again, I was not in those meetings, but I've been listening and learning and I am a little bit closer to it just because of my relationship with Gene Smith and uh, Ryan Day that, you know, it, was, uh, it wasn't a one-person decision. This was many people involved. Uh, obviously, the one thing different about the SEC and the Big Ten, you have some cities that were heavily impacted by the coronavirus. Um, you know, you got uh, Chicago, you got Detroit, you got Baltimore, you got uh, New Jersey, and those places were hit very hard. You have a, a lot of places really in the South that maybe were not. So that's what I'm understanding. There's a little bit of a difference. And all you got to do is flip on the news at night and everybody's got different opinions. This is such a relatively new issue and health issue and pandemic that a lot of it's unknown. And I think that that was the bottom line is the unknown is what, you know, whether it be long-term effects, whether there be cardio issues, issues with the uh, uh, COVID. And that, that is my understanding is what happened. Yeah, now they're talking now about the heart disease and inflammation. The SEC put out a bulletin, and they're going to do more of it. And so I kind of hang on to this as give us as much football season as possible, day by day. We got it today here. Don't have it up there, and we'll see where it goes. But I look forward to the day, I know you do, when we can just talk about the game and, and the great game that it is. And I was struck by your comments, which I read. Hopefully they're correct regarding your feelings about being an old-fashioned guy, being old school in that regard. I'm reading from a story 
But you're talking about the Southeastern Conference and the fact you thought it's possible that two, that every team could lose up to two games uh, in the SEC. But before I get to that, old I'm old school. I don't think college football is good. I think it's great. Let's talk about your love and your joy for the game, and then we'll discuss this issue of SEC parity or whatever you want to call it, which you say is going to probably make the big difference in terms of how this 10-game schedule works out. What happens if everybody loses to Urban? Your passion for the game. Well, that what brought that on was uh, the attack on college athletics and college football, uh, specifically and recently. You know, the Pac-12 came out with a statement the players about being exploited and about, uh, you know, not trusting their doctors, not trusting their coaches, not trusting their commissioner. And I just... That's, you know, I, it'd be hard for me or anyone, I imagine, and I feel for those student-athletes if they if that's really the case. They don't really trust the people in charge. And can you imagine going to work every day knowing that you really don't trust the people, yeah. when you're, especially when you're talking about a third person for a doctor? So that means you, there must be a little mistrust with the doctors. And so I I saw what the Ohio State and the Big Ten had a much different viewpoint. Ohio State was the exact opposite where, there is great trust. There's great trust in the athletic director, the team doctors, and that uh, we're actually in great, you know, positioning to play the game. They wanted to play the game. The families wanted to play the game. They, um, the protocol that was followed uh, here and in a, in a lot of other places was actually, in my mind, and really much safer than anywhere else in, the, in America. You know, we have team doctors. You get tested twice a week, and the number of cases were almost zero. So that that's what brought that on. And then, Someone made a comment. I was on a Fox show that maybe is this a chance for us to blow up college football and start over again? And I thought, what in the world? Enough's enough telling us how bad everything is. I'm so tired of hearing about how awful everything is. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. The world that I knew in college athletics was all about the student athlete. And I hear people say, well, they're not really student athletes. Yes, they are student athletes. And you know how I feel about my daughters played college volleyball and they're both very successful, I think, as a result of their being a part of a team and intercollegiate athletics. So, uh, you know, when I start hearing things blow up college football, what are you out of your mind? College football is one of the greatest entities out there. It's one of the most popular sports. Uh, so many people have benefited from uh, this incredible game. And yes, there is some name and likeness issues that maybe the players should be getting uh, their market value. And I think that's worth looking into. But to say start blowing up college football, what, what put our government officials in charge of it? I mean, have you not watched the news lately about the bickering between government officials? Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't don't you dare do that. You know, does college athletics continue to be advanced and move forward and changes that are necessary? Sure, of course. But to say when I heard that blow it up, that's when I kind of lost it. I said, wait a minute, don't don't. You, you tell me again what's wrong with college athletics, and I probably fight you really hard on that. I feel your passion, and several times when I've talked to you about. Perhaps we can make some changes for the better. You're quick to tell me there's a great game and in what the overall college experience is. And I get that. I do feel your passion. And I'm glad you're standing up for what you believe. This is going to make this podcast really interesting because we're going to hear a lot of your passion and uh, when we talk about things. Uh, speaking of which, the passion for players. And by the way, the issue of trust, something I know I've known you a long time. You always build all your programs on the issues, the basic is values of trust. And you um, you got some strong feelings on trust. And then you also 
have a real strong feeling about helping players get through tough times. And the reason I bring that up is I've just seen Nick Saban's comments about a player where he got in front of the media and said, let me tell you something, why I'm so strong about giving kids second chances at age 19. And he talked about a player that he had that uh, he was criticized for keeping, and he was at Michigan State. And he says he got rained on by everybody. And he said he gave him a second chance, and the young man wound up to be a terrific citizen. Went to, I believe he said Princeton. Uh, excuse me, uh, he, he didn't go to Princeton. He, he wound up graduating uh, and going uh, uh, into the NFL. In the NFL, he played 15 years, and his higher education is, is a is a big thing to him. I think he said his oldest child goes to Preston. So my point is that, that that's one thing you and Coach Saban share. You guys are rivals, but you both have felt for a long time that it's a coach's responsibility to give, hold them accountable, but give them every chance possible to overcome their mistakes. And Saban was simply saying, I'm going to fight you on this. I'll take the heat. Talk about that and talk about your passion for doing the same thing, for which you've often been criticized as well, because you say, I need to step up and help this young man. Well, college football and really college athletics in general is unlike really any other profession. I, I was thinking about that. When you, when you acquire talent, that's a big part of your job at any job is talent acquisition. Name another profession where you actually go in the and they're actually young people's homes and recruit them in front of their families. You know, corporate America, when you hire someone, you're not going to their house and talking to their parents and developing a relationship with their families. You don't do that. In college football, we're in the homes. Uh, we're hugging the families. And, the, and I've been on both sides. I've been on the parental side and I've been on the coach side. And, and uh, when, I, when you, it's a very emotional time when you take your daughter, Nicole Meyer, and you say, okay, she's going to go play volleyball at Georgia Tech five hours away from home. I trust you. And I actually squeeze the hand of the coach very hard and say, listen, you take care of her. And I'm not talking about playing time. I'm just talking about you support her and make sure she's safe. Make sure you, you know, just protect her because college is a hard world out there and uh, she's going to be away from home. And I've done that every time I recruited a person, I shake the hand of the father or the hug the mom or whomever is involved. And I said, listen, I'm going to, the one thing you can know is we're going to take care of that player. And our reputation was as such. We're going to take care of that player. And when I hear someone say, well, you know, they made a couple mistakes. And, you know, if it's awful, sometimes players eliminate themselves. I like to think, I don't know if I've ever really eliminated a player. Unfortunately, they they eliminate themselves. But, yeah, I take that very personal. And, you know, I once had an administrator tell me, it's time to make an example out of the, one of your players or something. And I, I, I did everything I could not to grab the person. Because, I, I, you know, obviously the person that said that never sat in a home and never looked at mom in the, in the eye or the dad in the eye and said, listen, I got your kid. So it's a much different, uh, um, uh, a much different uh, way of doing business than in corporate America. And I get that. And people have strong opinions and they're certain to them. But I really admire coaches that never allow people's opinions to get in the way of that relationship and what they believe is doing right. And can you save every player? Can you? You're going to certainly try. And, uh, um, and, and, you know, the ones that don't, obviously they make headlines. And, and the ones that do get saved and do great jobs, you know, the Dallas Bakers of the world that are incredible parents and have great careers, you know, that doesn't often make the headlines. So I, I've never been really worried about that. And I admire guys like Saban because that's – why do you think players go to Alabama? 
you know, just for the NFL, I hear that. No, because they know Nick Saban's going to protect that player and do all they can to make sure that player is a, a valuable member of society when he's done. And uh, I admire him for that. Important distinction for those who don't understand is you're not coddling players. Those players have a responsibility and they have certain things they have to do to remain in the program and be accountable. Some people say, well, you know, Saban, he's coddling those players again. You know, Meyer, he's going to take after this guy and give him all the answers to the quizzes and all that stuff. That perception has been flawed somewhat as opposed to trying to give him structure and discipline and giving him a shot. Yeah, that's nonsense. You know, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, uneducated babble when you hear someone say something like that. You know, that's... But, but once again, I, I, I've learned over the years that there are people, that's their job. You know, there are jobs uh, getting things published. Uh, you know, it's never been more difficult to newspapers, et cetera, et cetera, the media. So let's create storyline. Let's say that, you know, Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, or, or whoever is coddling or, you know, I didn't hear that much, but I imagine it's out there. You know, and I just, you brush that off and say, you got to move on. You know, that's, I don't really have... You know, that person has no idea what goes on here. Speaking of which, as you say, the media, now that you are sort of the media, I know you hate that when I say it, but you are on television with the big noon show and you got a, a, a gang there that gets uh, gets into it. All of them played, I think, or coached or whatever, except for one. Uh, and uh, you you don't have a football season, per se, with games, I don't think. Tell Update us on the big noon, the big noon show on Fox and how's it going? Who will be in the cast and what will you guys do with not that many football games? Yeah, we have the big 12. So we're going to start, I believe it's September 12th. Oh, good. Okay. And as of now, the big 12 plans on playing and there'll be other games involved, but the big 10 was a huge part of Fox. Yeah. And obviously they're not going to play the ball. So that's a big hit. But um, as of now, I understand that we're going and we plan on, uh, you know, being at the Red River Shootout, we're planning on being involved at uh, the Big 12 and, and just college football in general. Good to hear. I wasn't sure that was going to work out because I know the Big 10 was such a big, big thing. And people don't understand the massive audiences. They do if they know the SEC that these games grow up there. And Ohio State was the number one attraction of all uh, in college football. So that will be interesting. I'm glad you guys are back. Uh, are you picking any fights with Reggie this year? Or are you guys going to be nice to each other? Or what's the deal? Yeah, we get uh, some good banter back and forth, but I love Reggie Bush. Um, he's a grinder. You know, I just sometimes these great athletes, you know, that are just better than everyone else at times are not great workers, but he's an incredible worker, incredible person. I love him. Uh, Matt Liner was the same way. You know, he was a uh, absolute uh, uh, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. I believe his record, how about 30 and 7 and 2 as a starting quarterback? And then Brady Quinn, an All American at Notre Dame. So, and then our ringleader, uh, Rob Stone. So we have a great group. We love doing it. Uh, reviews were good. And, and we look forward, I look forward to being around those guys. All right. I haven't brought this up the last two shows. I've been saving it as we get closer. Uh, your former quarterback coach and the guy that you raised in the business was a GA for you at Notre Dame. People don't realize that. And the guy that you was a co-architect, I guess we could call him that, of the offense that you ran when you are in Florida and you run throughout really your whole career, Dan Mullen. A lot of expectations placed on Dan right now, but I want to talk about this specifically, this part about players opting in and opting out. 
This is a tough one. And Dan had three players on the bubble on Monday, the first practice. They didn't practice. There were four of them, and three of them were receivers who, who left us all hanging about whether they're going to play or not. Um, now it's come around that it looks like at least two, maybe three are going to play. We'll see about the others. Imagine if you were coaching now and you had to go to social media to get an answer about whether or not your star wide receiver was going to play, which I know you wouldn't, but I mean, this is what it feels like. Have you talked to Dan in the last couple of weeks? I know he's been busy. What do you foresee there? And how Dan seemed a little disgruntled, I'll say his first presser, but his second one or third one Thursday, he seemed to get a better grip on it. What about that issue and how much more difficult is it now for these coaches? Well, it started several years ago when players would opt out of bowl games. And we had one player opt out of the Cotton Bowl once we uh, found out we didn't make the college football playoff. Uh, we had a first-round draft pick uh, opt out of playing the bowl game. That was the first time I personally had to deal with it. We had the best player in college football, Nick Bosa, who uh, had a really tough injury and had surgery and, and maybe could have came back by the end of the season and decided to get ready for the NFL. And, you know, it just breaks your heart because, you you know, as a, you're a competitor and, you know, just sheer reality, you take out great players, your team's not as good. But I also put on my parent, parent cap and I'm so close with the families that made the decision that you have to respect them. You know, they've done everything they're supposed to do. They've worked extremely hard. You have a chance to go have generational uh, money and have a career and doing something you love to do. And football is a tough sport that injuries are involved. So it's very hard. I certainly understand it. You know, that wasn't around years ago. And it's hard to imagine we're at this point. But I certainly respect it. And I certainly understand it. A couple more to go on the Urban Meyer podcast. And uh, you said several weeks ago that you thought Florida was one of the teams to watch and maybe a team that would be maybe a championship timber, perhaps, they got to beat Georgia naturally. Uh, do you still feel that way? Have you had any conversations or any observations about the Florida Gators, your old team, by the way? Yeah, I talked to Dan Mullen every once in a while. I talked to him about a week ago, and he feels very high about his team. And, you know, it's a quarterback sport, you know, and, and uh, Trask is an excellent player. He's a very good player. He's not excellent yet. And I've watched a lot of film on him. I think he has potential to be really good. And I think Dan Mullins is as good a quarterback coach as they have, uh, as there is that's out there. So uh, they have good skill, uh, a lot of returning players, and a very strong culture. So I picked them to be a playoff team. I think they're going to, uh, as long as they stay healthy. And obviously now this whole SEC playing 10 games, that just, that just puts a whole different pressure on the coaches and players because you don't have those uh, easy games in between. You know, the SEC is the real deal. Yeah, I wanted to get into that with you uh, as I could. Just one second. One more question about Trask. It is said of Trask that he throws a, a very catchable ball. He seems to put the ball in the right place. He's got good instincts for a guy who hasn't played that much in college. Um, he's got a little, he's a willing runner, as Dan calls him. Uh, what, and you, what you see right now, and I know you don't want to coach Dan's quarterback, what do you see now? You say he's, he's a good player. Not excellent yet. What do you see now he needs to improve on? Uh, I don't know him that well that I can make those kind of comments. I just, uh, great quarterbacks have great statistics. And, you know, just whether it's timing with between the receivers and them, maybe it's complete understanding the playbook, maybe it's protecting the ball a little bit better. 
and they have to play their best in the big games. So to me, elite quarterbacks, you know, they're they're the ones that are, you know, uh, they play their best in the biggest games, and and that's when they, sh- you know, showcase their skill. So I just see him being very good and a potential be great, and he's got to play his best in those big games. And he's got to beat Emory Jones out, by the way, too. So Dan is sure to bring that up. And Emory Jones has got a lot of skills, too. All right, Coach, final question for you on your podcast today. We talked about the SEC. Uh, I hate the word parody, but uh, you, and you talked about the 10-game schedule earlier this year. Um, and you said SEC is the toughest top to bottom. And I think you said on the Fox Big News show that uh, you could have every team with two losses in the SEC, do you think that really could happen? I do. I think you know, top to bottom, and, and it's—I think any, everybody in the industry realizes that. That the, even the teams considered in the bottom half of the SEC, they could be uh, very good. They have tough stadiums to go play in. Every road game in the SEC is a challenge. You know, uh, I don't want to start listing teams, but even if you say Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State, Kentucky, South Carolina, um, you know, th- those are. Arkansas, when those places are rock and roll, those are great environments to go play college football games. And then you obviously got uh, the other teams in there. You know, maybe Missouri. I don't. I have been Missouri in a long yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, but A and M, that's a tough. I've been there before. That's a tough place to go play. So every place in the SEC is a tough place to go play. There's talented all over the field, and I just, you know, you better prepare. And one of the greatest things that we used to have is you'd see that bye week coming, or you'd see that you know, that FCS school coming down the road and you knew your players would get rested. And that's the biggest thing is not having rest uh, between, you know, 10 SEC games are going to be really tough. It's like everybody fighter having to, you know, having to fight the champion every week. And it's tough, I know. And, uh, well, Urban, thanks very much. And we'll talk to you again soon, uh, visit about this season. I can't believe we're going to have some football soon. I got a feeling you're ready for it. I know I am. Thanks, buddy. Look forward to it. Thank you, Coach Mark. Every Mark. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Best Fridays in Football, and thanks to Urban Meyer and Terry Bradshaw. On behalf of Director Brendan Martin, Producer Andy Billman, and the good folks at Evergreen, I'm Buddy Martin. And these are the best Fridays in football. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on.